is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio. Catholic Review Radio is a weekly radio program and podcast hosted by Catholic Review Media, the news operation of the Archdiocese of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic partners for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to our listeners each week. Welcome to Catholic Review Radio. I'm George Matisek. Throughout the centuries, Catholic saints have written countless spiritual classics that have touched hearts and changed lives. But until now, many of these works have been inaccessible to modern audiences because they have not been translated from the original Latin. Tan Books has launched a new initiative called Tan Resurrection that is bringing back to life these great works. Father Robert Nixon, a Benedictine monk with the Abbey of the Most Holy Trinity in Western Australia, has been painstakingly translating these long-forgotten spiritual classics. In our first segment of today's show, we talk with Father Nixon about how he goes about translating these spiritual classics. In our second segment, we take a closer look at one of his most recently completed translations, a book by Thomas Akempis called Meditations on Death, Preparing for Eternity. Father Nixon joined us via phone from Australia. Here's our interview with Father Nixon. Father Nixon, thanks so much for being here on Catholic Review Radio. Oh, thank you. It's a, it's a great pleasure and honor for me to be with you today. You spent a lot of time and effort recovering these great spiritual classics and, and translating them. How did you come across these particular works and, and what inspired you to make these translations? Uh, well, uh, George, I'm particularly blessed here to be, uh, well, I'm a Benedictine monk, and at our monastery here in Western Australia, we're in a fairly remote part of Australia, but we are the oldest uh, established monastery um, in, in the continent of Australia. We go back to 1846, and one of the great treasures here is our very large library. So we have a library consisting of over 80,000 uh, volumes. Wow. And um, yeah, and many of these are in Latin. And you know, one of my great um, hobbies and pleasures is to uh, is to explore our library. And so often I encounter works that are in Latin that have never been translated into English and are just kind of remaining in oblivion. And when I feel called to share one of those works to a contemporary readership, when I think it's going to uh, touch the hearts of a lot of people or, or prove to be relevant then, um, you know, uh, I feel called by God to, to share it, to make it available. And for me, this is very much a continuation of our monastic practice of scriptorium. So throughout the Middle Ages, monks were responsible for copying books and handing them on. So in our contemporary age, you know, we don't do that literally, but I see the, the process of translating as a kind of modern version of that um, of that particular monastic vocation. Latin has been long the universal language of the Catholic Church, so it makes sense that these particular works were never translated. Yep. But there, there have been other works that have been translated in more recent times. Why, why weren't these never translated? It's, it's very interesting. You know, when we say Latin was the universal language of the Church, it was. But it was also the universal language of scholarship and culture and everything, basically, until the end of the Middle Ages. Um, and now 
the fact is of the of the Latin works of literature which we have only a very very small percentage have actually been translated into English uh, I would estimate less than five percent and uh, the reasons for this are very many firstly translation is a is a fairly demanding process secondly the need for translations only came to the fore within the last um, I suppose 50 years or so or, or 100 years or so until then uh, most educated people and certainly most clergymen would be able to read the original in Latin so there simply wasn't the need for translations to be produced uh, but that's all changed today so I think the the need is very much there and I aim at you know putting my abilities and time and effort to fulfilling this as as best that I can what kind of training do you have in language and translating work? Uh, yes, well, um, I, you know, growing up, I learned a bit of Spanish and French and Italian, and uh, I learned also a little bit of Latin, mainly because I used to be a, a musician, and of course, a lot of musical texts and so forth are in Latin, so needing to understand those. But when I entered the seminary, um, that was one of the things which was being pushed quite strongly. This was during the time of Benedict XVI, and he introduced or reintroduced the requirement for seminarians to study Latin. And I was quite enthusiastic about that because of its importance in the liturgy and also in uh, historical church studies and in canon law and so forth. And it was something which I really took to. And then after I became a monk here at the monastery and had access to this uh, fantastic library, which I mentioned to you before, uh, that that was when I really uh, immersed myself in it. So that would, uh, I guess that's my, my background or, or, or what equips me to be able to translate these works into English. When you translate these works, is it a literal word-for-word -word translation you're going for, or are you trying to capture the meaning of an ancient text in a way yeah. that would be a little bit more accessible? Yeah, so so I, I normally begin with doing a, a relatively literal translation. But after that is, I guess, when the largest part of the work begins, to translate it into uh, idiomatic and effective language in a way that captures not only the meaning, but also the spirit and even the tone of the original. So sometimes the Latin is written in a light-hearted way, sometimes it's written in a very grave way, sometimes in a simple way or an ornate or poetic way, and I do my best to reproduce that uh, in the English. So, of course, English is a language which has a somewhat different dynamic to Latin, and um, it requires a certain amount of adaptation to make it uh, effective in English. I would imagine each author has his own sort of set of vocabulary and style and, it, it and different did. different abilities. In different very, very much so. So people often imagine that Latin was a kind of uniform language, you know, from the time of Julius Caesar right up to the time of Thomas Aquinas. But in reality, it was uh, continually evolving and changing a little bit in its idiom, not changing in its basic grammatical structure or its basic vocabulary, but if you think about the same way in which English has changed over the years, so that a, a piece of English written in the 19th century could prove difficult to understand for a modern reader and so forth, and even more so if we go back to the time of Shakespeare. So a comparable evolution took place in uh, the Latin language 
from the time of the early church right through until the more recent times, I, I guess, when it ceased to be the usual language for church writing and communication. How long typically does it take to translate a text like this? Well, you know, it, it varies a great deal. Um, some of the works, if they're a straightforward narrative, I could do very quickly. But on other occasions, if it's a work that requires a lot of thought and a lot of checking of references and so forth, then it can be very slow indeed. So, um, you know, it's really hard to give a, a typical type of time frame for some works. And some of the longest works I've done, longest in terms of text length and pages and so forth, have actually not taken so long as some shorter works which have required a lot of uh, research and checking references and so forth almost with every sentence. In our next segment, we're going to talk a, a lot about uh, a work by Thomas Akempis that you translated, uh, Meditations on Death. But I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about some of the other works that you've translated. Who were some of the authors and, and what were some of the yeah, spiritual insights certainly. that they gave? So I have translated uh, a work by St. Anselm on the uh, glories of heaven. And uh, I think this is a, a very fascinating work, one which has not come to light before, and certainly we don't read many works about that theme on what heaven is actually going to be like. Another very interesting work, which was the first one I translated for Ted, is called The Crown of the Virgin by St. Ildefonsus of Toledo. And in that he uh, describes this, this crown consisting of flowers and gemstones and stars and so forth, each of which are depicting particular aspects of the merit and beauty of the Blessed Virgin. So, um, you know, I've done uh, quite a, a diversity of, of different things for 10 books and, uh, you know, a small number of things for other publishers as well. But, um, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a very fascinating thing. And, of course, I think about what is going to be most spiritually useful or, um, you know, also most entertaining for modern readers. So I think we need to make not a firm distinction between what's spiritually useful and what's entertaining. Hopefully a good uh, spiritual book will be enjoyable and entertaining and also spiritually edifying. What have you learned in studying these ancient texts personally? Like how have they affected your spirituality? Um, well, I, I'd say I've learned a, a great deal myself because it's called me to read these texts with a lot more consideration a lot more trying to plumb into the mind of the author and in particular this one meditations on death which we're going to talk about in more detail uh, you know really brought home to me the uh, this kind of inevitable and uh, terrifying reality which each one of us is going to have to face the last things the end of our mortal life and what comes beyond that so this was you know quite a, a harrowing experience in some ways to translate it. Very demanding and, you know, a little bit of a wake-up call. Of course, as a monk, we're thinking about these things all the time, but sometimes, I guess, even uh, as monks, we can become a little bit complacent and blasé. So it was a, a real wake-up to the, the seriousness of the work of salvation 
Well, our guest today is Benedictine Father Robert Nixon of the Abbey of the Most Holy Trinity in Western Australia. Father Nixon is the translator of several previously untranslated spiritual classics. And we're going to take a little break now, and when we come back, we'll talk about the uh, work that we referenced by Thomas Akempis that Father Nixon recently translated. It's called Meditations on Death, Preparing for Eternity. I'm George Matisek. You're listening to Catholic Review Radio. We'll be back in a moment. This is Chris Gunty of the Catholic Review. The Archdiocese of Baltimore revived the Archdiocesan Medal of Honor, bestowing the award to 12 individuals at a gala dinner April 22nd. The gala, which made an in-person return after more than three years without a gathering, also paid tribute to Catholic education in the Archdiocese, raising more than $900,000 to provide scholarships to Catholic schools. The new Medals of Honor were given in support of the five pillars of the Archdiocesan mission statement, liturgy, evangelization, education, service, and stewardship. In his remarks at the dinner, Baltimore Archbishop William Lorry said the awards acknowledge that God is at work in our midst and that they honor extraordinary lives of faith and service in the local church. For more information on the honorees, visit catholicreview.org and search Medals of Honor. And for the latest news, subscribe to the Catholic Review's e-newsletter by texting WMET to 84576. Remember the spirit of your parish community, the power of worshiping together, the warmth of friends new and old who share your faith. Join us for Mass this weekend. Visit archbelt.org to find a Catholic parish near you. Feel the joy. This is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio. Welcome back to Catholic Review Radio. I'm George Matisek. Our guest today is Benedictine Father Robert Nixon of the Abbey of the Most Holy Trinity in Western Australia. Father Nixon is the translator of several previously untranslated spiritual classics, and one of them is a work by Thomas Akempis called Meditations on Death, Preparing for Eternity. Father Nixon, uh, many people are familiar with The Imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis, which is considered one of the greatest spiritual works in the history of, of the Church. Uh, but Akempis wrote a lot of other spiritual works that aren't as familiar. Yeah, yeah. So, so Thomas Akempis, he lived right at the end of, he was born in 1390 and lived until about 1470. Um he was born in Germany, but lived most of his life in Holland. And he, he spent a good part of his early life in an organization called the Brotherhood of Common Life, which was a type of religious organization, but without vows. So it was a kind of people aspiring to live a type of monastic life, but, but without necessarily committing themselves to that for the entire course of their life. After that, he entered the order of the canons of St. Augustine and continued with those until his death. But he was a, a very, very prolific writer. So, of course, his imitation of Christ is very well known. But his complete works comprise, um, depending upon the edition, three or four very sizable uh, volumes. And these, you know, I would say the imitation of Christ would be maybe only about 5 or 10% of his total output. So he wrote a vast number of different things. 
very few of these have come to the light of the public. So everyone, I guess, Catholics all know the imitation of Christ very well. But his other works, for various reasons, have been largely overlooked. So uh, the opportunity to bring more of his writing to a contemporary audience was one which uh, you know, I was simply thrilled about because I knew how many people um, love the imitation of Christ and the depth of the impact it's had on the lives of countless generations of Christians over the centuries. In today's culture, thinking about one's death is, n- is not exactly at the top of most people's lists. Um, what does Thomas Akempis have to say about the importance of contemplating one's death? Yeah, so contemplating uh, death is was a very important spiritual practice during the Middle Ages, and particularly during the late Middle Ages, when death kind of assumed a, a great immediacy because of things like famine, plague, and war, and so forth. Um, so he believes that we need to contemplate death all the time because it's the inevitable reality of this mortal life. It's an inescapable reality. And uh, it's something what we're, we're ultimately going to have to deal with. And the ancient philosophers said that um, the life of a wise person is a constant preparation for death. In our own rule of St. Benedict, St. Benedict advises us to keep death constantly before our mind. And this, uh, this really makes sense if we think about life as a journey. We're heading towards this, this destination. And it makes sense to to keep the final end in mind. And when we say thinking about death, it doesn't mean just the termination of earthly life, but it includes, more importantly, everything that lies beyond that. And this is, you know, the vast eternity. And compared to the the, uh, immensity and the magnitude of that eternity, our present mortal life is going to seem like just a fleeting moment. It's interesting. I, Thomas Akempis uses this literary device of, of someone on his deathbed. Uh, could you talk talk about how he does that and and how yeah. that works? How that works? So, um, so in the second part of the book, in the first part of the book, he considers the traditional four last things, which are the event of death, final judgment, the joys of heaven, and the torments of hell. But in the second part, he writes from the perspective of a person who is just about to die. And he does this in a very powerful and vivid way. And he invites the reader to imagine themselves in the same kind of position, to think how are they going to be feeling in their last moments if they had to face those right at the moment? What would their regrets be? Would they be regretting, for example, he talks about regrets over wasted time. And I think this is such a, a common thing. I, I think I've, if I was going to die very soon, I would certainly regret all of the time I've wasted. And I think pretty much everyone would do that in some way or the other. But it calls us to prioritize, to think what do we, re, what's really important to us when we reach our final moments. What are we going to wish we spent more time doing? What are we going to wish we spent less time doing? Yeah, I think if we recognize that our time on earth is limited, it, it kind of gives us a greater sense of urgency in doing the right thing each day. If you know you might not have another hour or another day, then then maybe that kind of prompts you to do the right thing. Well, well, yes, it, it does, you know, because, uh, you know, we're called by God to live our life um, to the full. And part of that call is not to waste time. 
Mm. You know, if you think about what life is, it's essentially the gift of a certain quantity of time. So to waste time is the same as wasting life. And, you know, no one would want to do that. But I think we all end up wasting time in one way or the other. So I think, yeah, to, to, to think about what's really going to matter at the end of our life, you know, what are we going to regret? We're going to, we're certainly not going to regret, you know, that we, that we didn't spend enough time on social media or whatever. We're going to regret things like we didn't spend enough time in prayer or we didn't spend enough quality time with our family and all of those kind of things. So, you know, I think keeping in mind uh, the reality of death which means the fittitude of the amount of time that we've got, cause us to, to set our priorities right and to put them in the context of this glorious eternity to which each one of us is called through the grace of God. One of the things that Akempis points out is that if, if you do wait till you're on your deathbed to start thinking about these things, it, then you yeah. might, not, might not have that chance for repentance or, or, or well, salvation. Well, no, he, and he points this out quite vividly. That when we're on our deathbed, um, we're we're actually not in the best condition for for undertaking works of penance or works of conversion and so forth. If you think about the fact that often not only the body but also the mind is starting to weaken and deteriorate as a person reaches their end, you don't want to leave that process of conversion until that stage. And what's more. If our repentance isn't accompanied by any actual works, we can't be sure how sincere it really is. You know, it's one thing for a person who's about to to die to say, you know, I'm very sorry that I sinned. But if they're not going to live anymore and live in a way which is freed from that sin, how sincere can this um, can this repentance be? Of course, it's possible that it can be. But what he's saying is that we've got no assurance, no certainty, so that we don't want to leave our reformation to a kind of deathbed repentance, but we need to get our lives in order straight away, to seize the day and putting things right with God and with our fellow man. On the cover of your book, you have an image of a man holding a skull. Indeed, and that's actually St. Francis of Assisi. So this is... One of the um, famous images of him, and uh, you know, a lot of saints actually are depicted holding a skull um, and keeping it as a reminder of their mortality. Within our own monastic tradition, uh, not so much today, but in the past, a lot of monks would keep a skull in their room, and that would remind them, you know, uh, of of their mortality. So I think, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a wonderful practice. It, it might look a little bit morbid to modern readers, but I think there's a lot of sense behind it. What if we figuratively or maybe even literally kept an, an image of a skull ever in front of us? And how, how do you think society would be different if, if people would you just know, contemplate? I, 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 yeah, I think, that's, I think that's a very wise thing. In fact, in our chapel here, we have an old Spanish crucifix, which has got a skull down at the bottom of it and there is actually you know stories that the the ancient egyptians would have a skull uh, sorry an entire skeleton present at their banquets just as a kind of reminder of the finitude of their mortal life i think it would make a great deal of difference and this by the way is not only for people with the gift of faith but also for for people from virtually every background from every philosophical position, because death is a universal reality. 
to, to do everything that we do in the context of the fact that we have a limited period of time here that every day that passes by brings us one day closer to that inescapable end. What other books are you working on in your Tan Resurrection book series? So I have coming out in the very near future a wonderful book by St. Albert the Great who was the teacher of St. Thomas, uh, Thomas Aquinas on the virtues and this is a, a wonderful book. Um, another one I've got coming out is by St. Francis of Rome and in that book she relates her experiences, her visions of being taken on a kind of tour of hell, purgatory and heaven. So it's a little bit like a, a kind of literary version of uh, Dante's Divine Comedy where all of these things are described but this is through the eyes of a saint and a vision which she had. So uh, fascinating works coming out in that respect. So hopefully your listeners will be able to check out these works when they become available. And how can people purchase these books? Well, I would advise you to keep in touch with the TAN Books website, which is tanbooks.com. Uh, yeah, so that, and also they'll be available through the usual uh, online uh, booksellers um, uh, book depository. I think that's closing down in the near future. But but I would recommend in the first instance go to Tan Books, tanbooks.com. Sign up for their newsletter. It's fantastic. It lets you know of all the new books which are coming out. Also has a great deal of uh, very interesting free devotional stuff and informative stuff. So worthwhile to sign up. And uh, so these will all be out in the in the near future. And um, yeah, and I've got a book also coming out on the Medal of Saint Benedict, which is particularly close to my heart uh, as a Benedictine. And I know so many people have a strong devotion to that Medal of Saint Benedict these days. So mm. that will be out uh, sometime in the near future as well. Terrific. Well, our guest today has been Father Robert Nixon, a Benedictine monk of the Abbey of the Most Holy Trinity in Western Australia. Father Robert, thank you again for being here. Thank you. God bless you. For Catholic Bye. Review Radio, I'm George Matisek. Thanks for listening. The Catholic Review is the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the Catholic Church full-time. Pick up the monthly magazine at your parish or have it delivered to your home. Subscribe to our e-newsletter for twice-weekly updates. Just text CR Media to 84576. Follow The Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Read it today in print or online at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org. Tune in to Catholic Review Radio next week. Available on WMET 1160 AM and 103.1 FM. Also, WSJF 92.7 FM in the Sykesville area and WVTO 92.7 FM in Baltimore City. Check us out on SoundCloud or your favorite podcast app. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Review Radio. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. 
Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May Almighty God bless us and keep us always in his love.